Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. This is Perrin Desports, and I'm your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or other healthcare provider, and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, DeWalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Well, welcome everyone to episode number 27 of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast, the important what's of building a successful group. That's right, you've heard us talk about the why, you've heard us talk about the how, we've even talked about the who, and today we're gonna talk about the what's. You know it's gonna be a note-taking episode, so please get your pad and pen ready and brew another cup of that wonderful meal of coffee. The Group Practice Accelerator podcast is off and running. Once again, thanks everybody for joining me on the show today. As I teased in the introduction, we often talk about the why behind building a group practice. You've heard us talk about associates, equity, executives, a lot about the who, and we certainly give you a lot of insight into the mechanics behind all of it in the context of how. But today, I want to spend a couple of minutes talking about the what. There are a lot of what's to be uh, aware of and mindful of and intentional about if you're going to undertake this journey in building a group. I'm going to unpack several of the most important ones for you today, and these are certainly aspects that should be top of mind when you start your growth journey to building a successful group. So the first couple center around what are you building? And more specifically, what are the risks? Well, the risks are numerous. Obviously, business is not without its dangers and its risk. And working on a high wire act without a net can be uh, more than frightening at times. But there are a handful of risks that you want to be um, mindful of. And I, I mentioned intentional about when you start your growth path into building a group. Many of you probably all of you, started out as a solo dentist, potentially in a solo location. And at some point, you decided that you had mastered that. You felt confident about it from a clinical skill standpoint, felt confident about it from uh, a risk and a debt leverage standpoint, felt really confident about it from a control standpoint, understandably. And you want to build off of that solo location into a multiple location group by either buying or building your second location. And that's where people tend to make their first misstep. They possibly forget about the trials and tribulations of uh, the journey they went through to build that first successful practice. And it's gotten kind of easy for them now. And they think the second location is just gonna be an extrapolation of the success they built in the first location. That is not the case. The first component of risk deals with personal stress. And you really need to be intentional about this. And you need to have that face in the mirror, gut check 
that says, am I willing to take on a lot more stress in building a second location? It's kind of like having multiple children, or so I'm told at least. The reason that my wife and I don't have two or more children is because we have one. And we thought that that was plenty of stress for us to handle. Now, when you think about having multiple kids uh, and multiple locations, the second location isn't just twice as stressful. It's a lot more stressful. And the reason it's more stressful is because you can't be in two locations at once. And what worked really well for you in the first location may not be glued together as tightly in the second location. And you may not have the people in the second location that know exactly how you do everything that made you successful in location number one. And all of that stress comes back around to you. So you have to really understand the level of stress you're going to take on. You have to be mindful about it. And you have to be intentional about your willingness to take it on because it falls on your shoulders. The second reason that uh, it's going to be stressful and, and the extrapolation of the first uh, personal stress level is that you individually are going to personally guarantee the loan to buy or build that second location. And that's uh, something that you're probably comfortable with up to a point. You bought or built your first location, so you're comfortable with some level of debt. Maybe you have personal debts, a mortgage, a car, uh, any types of credit card debt. You might have some student loan debt, uh, and you may have some existing debt on your primary practice. You are going to personally guarantee the debt on that next location. And I like to tell people at the end of the day, the bank is going to get paid. You may not, but the bank will get paid. And we get asked a question uh, quite often by people who are along the growth journey in terms of building a group. When am I ever going to be able to, to get out from under a personal guarantee? And the answer to that depends on the bank, but it's usually somewhere around four to five million dollars in EBITDA when the when the business itself can guarantee its own debt. She moved to something called a corporate guarantor status, and that doesn't happen until about four to five million dollars in EBITDA. And those are very large businesses. So chances are most of the people in this audience are a good bit away from four to five million dollars in EBITDA. You're going to be guaranteeing debt, personally speaking, for quite a while during this initial phase of your growth journey. That certainly adds to the personal stress that's born out of operations and, and general frustrations with owning multiple locations when you can't be in two locations at once. So the personal guarantee on debt is something that um, uh, you're probably aware of, but suffice to say, it's going to be there with you for a while. And as an extrapolation from guaranteeing more debt is the probable reduction of personal income. Now, let me try to tee this up for you in an audible contact uh, in an audible context. It's usually easier to illustrate this on a whiteboard or with an Excel sheet, and I don't have either one of those on the podcast today, but I want you to think through this a couple of different ways for me. So right now, if you are operating uh, a single location practice and um, you are the primary economic engine in that practice, you probably make a pretty healthy amount of personal income. If you're a master at your craft and you run a successful business, it's probably a pretty successful business and you're probably taking home 
a healthy amount of personal income. We're all Americans, or at least most of the people in this audience are, although we get a lot of downloads internationally now, like I've mentioned on prior episodes. But being Americans, we love to live um, with the trappings of having a successful life. We like to have toys. We like to take trips. We like to put our kids in private school. Uh, there's nothing wrong with any of that. Um, and it's okay to reward yourself for the risk that you've taken and the expertise that you've earned. Quite all right with that. That being said, what you'll find is that if you have uh, built a successful practice or a successful small business and you are pulling all of the income out of that business uh, to support a, let's just call it a lavish lifestyle, you have no margin for error. The business has no margin for error. And as you start to build a multi-location group, you're going to quickly find that that group needs a CEO or a leader. And it's probably going to have to be you because you're the original visionary of the business. So as you transition out of the chair and into more of a leadership role, you're probably going to have to do that gradually over some a, a year's time or um, a couple of quarters time. And as you start to transition out of the chair, it's obvious that you're going to have to replace yourself in a clinical capacity. And whoever you replace yourself with, you're going to pay them a clinical compensation rate to do the clinical work that you're no longer doing. And therein lies the rub. If you have to pay an associate to do the work that you're no longer doing, that's coming out of your back pocket. And if you are living to the maximum amount of your income being the sole business owner and primary economic engine in the business, then you've got no margin for error. Everyone that builds a group ends up taking some level of a reduction in personal income. How much? Well, it depends on how quickly the business grows and how quickly the profitability grows. It also depends a lot on the debt structure. What are your um, uh, principal and interest payments? Is it a seven-year term or a 10-year term or a 10-year with a balloon, something along those lines? But suffice to say, as you go through this journey, you are probably going to end up taking home less because you're going to have more debt on the business. You're going to have more people doing clinical work that replaces um, the work that you used to do. And it's going to be a requirement of the business to have a rainy day fund. So you may have to, instead of distributing money, all the money out of the business, you may have to, to put some of it away um, as cash on balance sheet to be used for future purposes. That combination of increased debt load, the associates uh, performing your clinical work, and let's call it cash on balance sheet, all comes out of one, one person in one place, and that's going to be you. So you want to sit down with your advisor, kind of talk through that scenario, and try to model it to the best of your ability so that you and your family know what to expect. We do this with clients a lot in our uh, strategic consulting program, and we see this with almost every single one of them uh, in terms of their personal income. The reason you obviously want to do that is because you have the opportunity to create a wealth-changing and a life-changing event. Uh, if you are able to grow a successful practice. And that's that's the, re the compelling reason to do it, obviously. Um, which brings me to my, my next point here on the what, which is 
what are you trying to build in terms of the, the way the business is constituted? Are you building for exit, meaning building quickly and having a, a, a capital event or a transaction that creates a lot of wealth at the end of the journey? Or are you building more slowly and trying to build a business that's more akin to a lifestyle business that does generate a healthy amount of cash flow for you and your family? Those two aspects, a, a growth business versus a lifestyle business, are significantly different. A lifestyle business is arguably a slower growth trajectory, and you are pulling most of the money out um, either to spend on a lifestyle or for alternative investments or something along those lines. Whereas a growth business is a much faster ramp. You're guaranteeing more debt. You're plowing a lot of that excess income back into the business for growth purposes so that you're able to create an exit, a capital event, a transaction in a shorter period of time. So it's important to understand what you're predisposed to want to own and what your risk level is, the what behind the risk again, what your risk level is along the way of that growth trajectory. This is a conscious decision that you need to make very early on. Am I building a lifestyle business for cash flow purposes or am I building a growth business for wealth purposes? Income and wealth are competing interests the way you've heard us say many times, and it's arguably impossible to do both. So let's be intentional about what we're trying to build uh, at the onset. If you are building a business for exit, you have probably heard a lot of people in the industry talk about maximizing value. Well, the concept of maximizing value is different for everyone. So one of the key what's to solve for is what do I want in a transaction if I'm building for exit? And let me try to tee this up for you real quick. Let's just use a blanket example. And let's say that somebody is in their late 50s or early 60s, and they are looking to create a transaction. They're probably close to retirement at that age and that stage of their career. They probably don't want a role post-sale with whoever buys their business. And they probably don't want a lot of leftover risk in terms of an equity investment, meaning they probably want the transaction to be mostly in cash. Well, an all-cash transaction with no post-event obligation in terms of a, a, a working uh, engagement really shifts most of the risk onto the buyer because you're going to sell your business and you're going to walk away for all intents and purposes. It's up to the buyer to continue to operate it, to improve it, to recruit people to work in it, and, and to build all the systems and processes to continue its success. And for that reason, the buyer's taking on most of the risk. More risk on behalf of the buyer more than likely means a lower multiple or a lower transaction value or both. That's significantly different than if you're in your early 40s, let's say, and you've built a successful uh, multi-location business, you've taken it as far as you could, and you are looking for a capital partner to help you take it through the next phase of the journey of your overall growth. 
Well, in that scenario, you may not want it mostly in cash. Quite frankly, you might want a lot of it in equity. So in that scenario, you're taking less cash up front and you're rolling more equity into the buying company, the parent company. If the buyer is able to de-risk their position by keeping you employed post-sale and keeping you motivated with a high equity stake, they may be willing to offer a higher transaction multiple and a higher transaction value. But what you want in that scenario is significantly different than what the previous person I described wants in terms of all cash and a walk away. So when you hear this concept of maximizing value, maximizing value is really unique to the person who has built the, the group, the, the business, and it's unique to what their desires are post-sale. One last thing that I'll say about this aspect of the what is that there may be multiple partners in your group, and they may be at multiple stages of their different stages of their career, or they may be at different ages or they may be at different uh, predispositions in terms of risk. You can have one transaction in terms of cash and equity, and it might be distributed differently according to the predispositions of the partners involved. So it does not have to always be a one-size-fits-all. But again, these are things that we want to talk through and think about in terms of maximizing value. And again, when we work with people in our consulting program, we, and they do indicate that they want to build for a, a capital event or transaction, we get into this life after liquidity discussion frequently, and we try to match up some of what their desires are to the value of the transaction that they may realize upon the capital event. It's really important to understand how you're motivated around that what of maximizing value. Now, the next piece I'll say along the lines of the what is are we uh, do we want smaller footprint locations or larger footprint locations? You've heard us talk about um, overcoming the fixed costs of a dental practice and how the the variable cost structure really allows for dramatic profitability if you're able to drive the revenue line. And really, one of the best ways to achieve that is in terms of hours and days of capacity and maximizing that. You can also integrate specialty services with it. Uh, and on and on and on. And that's one of the beauties of building a, a group dental practice for sure. But I really think you have to be intentional around the size and the footprint that you're trying to build. So size, you've heard us say, if you're going to make acquisitions, certainly if you're going to do de novos, but if you're going to make acquisitions, you never want to buy anything that's five operatories or less because it creates something called provider risk or provider dependency. So anywhere, you know, six operatories or more is what you're looking at in terms of acquisitions. Well, you've also heard us say that we are really big fans of the larger footprint business, i.e. the 10 to 12 or more operatories because of the growth potential and the fixed cost utilization in those locations. So if you're, if you're setting out to build a group, I think it's really worth it to consider, are you going de novo or are you going acquisition or a blend of both? But certainly, uh, what is the size and number of operatories that you're looking to have under those roofs that, you, uh, that you're building around? If it's me, 
I would rather own five, 10 operatory uh, locations versus 10, five operatory locations. Uh, and I think there's a compelling reason for that, but that's something that you want to be mindful of as you're mapping out what the, the expansion strategy of the business is uh, and candidly, the amount of chaos that you want to create in all of those locations. So hopefully that gives some context around um, the operation or the, the capacity of these businesses. And the last what I'm going to ask is something of a more personal nature. And when I say personal nature, this is really all about you. And I want you to think through what you're really good at and what you love doing. What you're really good at and what you love doing. And those two might not be the same thing. You've heard me talk uh, about a, a, an entrepreneurial coaching program I'm part of called Strategic Coach out of Chicago. And you know they talk about a concept called unique ability with the entrepreneur. And unique ability is your God-given craft that you are excellent at and that you absolutely love doing and would do even if you never uh, made a dime off of it, even if nobody ever paid you for it. It's just what you're truly called to do, what you're excellent at. And, and what you love doing. And there are a lot of people that um, may be really good at doing something, but they don't love it. And they're not in their unique ability in that context. And just because we're really good at something doesn't mean that we should always do it because we're really good at it. At the end of the day, you really want to be able to create an opportunity for yourself in any business where you're really good at doing something and by God, you love doing it. And if you're really clear about that and you understand those two what's, it's also easier to derive the why behind it for you on a personal level. And this journey is hard enough as is if you are not clear about what you're really good at and what you love doing. And I think you owe it to yourself to take a little bit of time and think through that. And when I ask that those questions, of clients, sometimes I can tell when it's never occurred to them to ask that of themselves. And that's okay. You probably don't have a really quick answer and it's worth the time that you're going to think and ponder on it. It goes without saying that if you're working with an advisor in terms of building out your business or you're thinking about building out a, a larger uh, business and you haven't considered some of these questions, you need to slow down and do so. And you need to pick an advisor who, who probably guides candidates uh, and clients, excuse me, through this type of a journey before just pulling the trigger and, and blindly shooting at targets um, that they haven't even really considered. Um, so hopefully a lot of that today gives you some, uh, some context around the what's behind building a successful group practice. They are all important and they all merit your time and attention. I hope you found that informative and educational today. Um, and, and I really do hope that you'll uh, find a way to apply it in your business. If you got questions on it, you know you can reach me uh, via email at perrin at polarishealthcarepartners.com. Stick around. We'll be right back with some additional thoughts and to wrap up the show. So before we wrap things up today, I wanted to maybe refresh a little bit of a social media post that Mike Dombrowski, our, our new brand manager and digital media uh, content uh, specialist, 
posted recently, and that was that we went over 2,000 downloads of the podcast uh, over the last four weeks. And you know that's not huge by uh, grand standards, and there are certainly a lot of podcasts that are larger in terms of downloads and audience than ours. Um, you know, but I, I think for DeWalker and myself, uh, we've been so appreciative of the the reception that we have uh, gotten from the marketplace and from so many of y'all in the audience over the last nine months. It it really is hard to believe that. Um, you know, the business was launched a little bit over eight months ago um, from almost ground zero. <laughs> and we had uh, some grand designs for Polaris in the, in the first, I'd say, nine months or calendar year of existence. Uh, and we have got some grand designs of where the business is going to end up in the future. Um, but the reception that we've received from so many of you all in the accolades, we've gotten the compliments and, and the feedback about the podcast in particular uh, is not lost on us. And we are really grateful and very appreciative and we see it in the numbers. And I just wanted to take a minute on the podcast and, and tell everybody, thank you for that. Um, it is something that's not lost on us. We continue to grow our audience and many of you do um, refer people to the podcast, share links, and you know we see the downloads growing. Um, and, and that's just kind of cool to see. And it brings me back to a an essay that uh, that I read um, by a guy named Kevin Kelly called A Thousand True Fans. And this thing was written like back in the late 2000, uh, 2007, 2008, maybe 2010, something around those lines. Uh, and it's, it, if you Google search it, Kevin Kelly, A Thousand True Fans, it's a really interesting read. It's from a, a, a an artist or a creator uh, standpoint. He doesn't have anything to do with group dental practices, I assure you. Um, but he talks about building an audience and building a fan base, building a tribe, as you've heard it called sometimes. Uh, and it's really hard to do. But if you build it the right way and you can reach about a thousand people that consider themselves to be true fans, you'll never grow, go hungry again. <laughs> and, and I like to think that we're on the journey. Um, and I think back about Kevin Kelly's essay of a thousand true fans um, on a lot of separate occasions. And I felt like the, the 2000 downloads over the last four weeks was kind of reflective of that. And, and it gave us a sort of a point of pride. And I just want to tell everybody in the audience, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for that. And um, let's hope that those uh, growth numbers continue to go in the right direction and continue to grow quickly. So thank you for giving us all the ratings that you have, sharing the podcast, referring us to others and recommending um, that people become a follower because it really does mean the world to us. So I just want to take a second to say thanks. I had a lot of fun on today's episode. Um, as fun as a, a group dental practice podcast can be talking about the what's behind group practices. But I hope... Uh, I hope you got a lot out of it. If you did, again, I, I, I hope you will leave us a, a rating on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Um, it does help us for SEO purposes and show rankings and all that other kind of fun stuff. Like I mentioned before, if you've got questions, feel free to submit them directly to me at perrin at polarishealthcarepartners.com. You never know when I might read one and answer it on the air. Of course, you want to find out more about us. You can go to our website at www.polarishealthcarepartners.com. Thanks so much for being a listener and a subscriber. We'll see you on the next episode.